Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. we were here in this sacred space last night. If we follow along and continue the narrative of the gospel account of Luke, what we find is that the disciples went back to the garden where they had been staying. Fortunately, it was a lovely time of year and they were able to live outdoors. And so they had gone back to where they were sleeping. But Judas Iscariot, formerly one of the 12, had left to fulfill his own ambitions. We will never truly know on this side of the kingdom to come what Judas was thinking and feeling. The gospel accounts speculate. Was it the devil that made him do it? Was he so upset with Jesus' response on Wednesday night to the woman who appeared with a very costly ointment and adorned our Lord with its contents? Was he so embittered and embroiled by the world and its brokenness that when Jesus failed to live up to his expectations, that he could take it no longer? All of us know what it is like to fall short of the glory of God. And Judas is no different from you or I in that. That we too know what it is like to be frustrated, to see the world, to see the people that we are in community with, and to see the brokenness, the pervasiveness of sinfulness and the ever-presence of death and wonder, why, God, where are you? How can this be allowed to be? And today is a day where we gather not only to remember God's answer to where God is, But today is a day when we have the opportunity to mourn the things that have weighed so heavily on us, to offer them up, and to turn them over to God, the only one who can handle them, the only one that is truly empowered to do anything about the world and us. Today we have the opportunity to combine two of the most ancient practices, that is prayer and sacrifice. These have ancient roots, not only in the scriptures, but in the life of God's people. From the very beginning, prayer was used to communicate to God and to open ourselves up that we might receive what God would communicate back to us. And sacrifice was a way of showing God honor. It was, became a way for God's people to be cleansed as well to come before the Lord after the giving of the Mosaic Covenant and the law and find a way to be reconciled. Just because the people were now God's people didn't mean that they weren't going to sin. It didn't mean that they weren't going to make mistakes. And it didn't mean that they weren't going to need to do the difficult, painful spiritual work of reconciliation. And so God gave them sacrifice. And so it was that the people knew that sin required a response. It required us to acknowledge what we had done and then 
In accordance with the law, there was a prescribed sacrifice that could be made. Oftentimes, this sacrifice reflected the sacrifice that God commanded on the first Passover, and that is a lamb, firstborn without blemish, not sick, no broken bones, a perfect firstborn lamb. For God proclaims shortly after the instructions of the Passover Seder that the firstborn are God's. Every firstborn, whether firstborn of human or firstborn of donkey, are God's. And those must be redeemed. Little did they know when they passed down that dictate and that commandment that it would one day become fulfilled by God's self and God's Son. And today we are here because we recognize that we too have contributed to the necessity of the cross. We come here because many of us have experienced what it is to be forgiven by God. It is truly a liberation for which there are no words. Nothing compares to knowing that God has forgiven you. To be justified means to stand upright. It means to be able to stand before God. And suddenly when we are forgiven and we know that we are forgiven, we are able to stand straighter than we ever have. We are able to rise and confront not only our past, but we can confront our future. For we have been set free. And that is what today is about. It is about being set free that the key to our liberation wasn't forged in iron or bronze. It was nailed to a cross. And it has continued to be sufficient for every single human being. And it always will be. It is the one thing that will never run out, God's grace. And as we have gathered here, this is the first time in quite a long time that we have been able to do this on a Good Friday because we have been through what some would call living hell. We have been through the kind of suffering that most people in this country haven't experienced for a very long time. To experience worldwide death, to know that we were in a place that we couldn't have our autonomy, we couldn't express our free will as we always had, that in and of itself felt like shackles. But we are here tonight. We have come a very long way. But we are not finished. For God is not finished with us either. And so as we are gathered here, we have the opportunity to remember the words of the scriptures. The scriptures tell us explicitly that what happened in 24 hours was absolutely mind-boggling for those that were living that truth. Last night, they had gone out into the world, and Judas began a snowball effect. He was the catalyst for bringing Jesus to the cross. But he wasn't the only actor in this play. There were others who had parts, some small, some rather large. And last night, as the disciples kind of settled down to go to bed, they had just eaten a wonderfully filling lamb meal. They had had multiple goblets of wine, and they were ready to go to bed. 
but there would be no sleep for them. Instead, soldiers arrived. They arrived and Judas, with a kiss, betrayed Jesus, pointed him out. In a sea of guys who were wearing not the cleanest clothes, in a sea of gentlemen who were kind of laying around in a garden area, Judas had to go and show them which one was Jesus. And then they arrested him. And they hauled him off to the high priests, to the council. And it was there before the council that Jesus was tried the first time. They wanted to voir dire him about the claims that had been made, the claims that he himself had made and the claims that others had made about him. They wanted to know, do you really think that you are the son of God? Can you imagine Jesus being confronted with this? These are the holiest of people. These are the people who are in charge of the sacrificial offerings that cleanse God's people, and they don't recognize their Lord. And so they beat him, and they lock, them, lock him in their personal prison overnight. And there he will suffer and languish until the morning. And then they will haul him before Pilate. And the first time Pilate isn't interested in seeing Jesus, he's got other things to do than figure out whether or not this is the king of the Jews. That group of people that are more of a thorn in his side than a point of pride in his governorship. And he sends Jesus off to Herod. Let your puppet king deal with this one. But Herod wants nothing to do with this either. And so Herod sends him back. Now, Jesus has already been arrested, beaten, and humiliated, and now he's been traipsed all over Jerusalem. And he comes back again. And this time, Pilate hears him. And when Pilate asks him who he is, we have varied accounts of what Jesus responds. In some of them, he doesn't reply at all. In some of them, he says, it is what you say I am. And Pilate is trying to wrap his mind around what Jesus is saying. Where is your kingdom? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And it is not. Those of us who have given our faith to Christ, those of us who have tried to live our life in a post-crucifixion world, we know that this world is not Jesus's yet. We know that there are those that will completely misunderstand who we are and what we want to do. They will paint us as the villains. And sometimes they will see us as the sinners we always were, instead of the people that we are trying to be by God's grace. And at the end of this, Pilate sees a way out. He knows that there is a custom, and the custom is, I will release a prisoner. So let the crowd decide. We'll let them choose who will be crucified for their entertainment and who will be let go for their benefit. And you have the choice between Jesus and an insurrectionist, someone who, because of his desire to overthrow the Roman Empire, is now guilty of murder. 
The choice seems clear, does it not? But there could never be any other choice than the one that they made. Because human sin was always going to choose the innocent. Human sin will always choose to cause suffering rather than to look at saving another. And Jesus knew that this was coming. He had already prayed last night, knowing that today was happening. And in the end, the crowd chose Barabbas. And they prepared to make Jesus suffer even more. Now they would humiliate him and they would beat him. They would strip him naked. They would clothe him in a parody of royalty. And they would plunge the thorns of that crown into his head. He was bleeding long before he made it up to Calvary. He was weak and struggling long before he reached Golgotha. And when he got there, at 9 o'clock in the morning today, they crucified him. And they raised him up on the cross. And he suffered like that for three hours. And then at noon, darkness covered the land. It was as if the entire world was already mourning. But he would languish for another three hours. It would be three o'clock before he would breathe his last. All of the forgiveness we have ever known was purchased with six hours on a cross. Six hours. Most of us can fritter away six hours in the blink of an eye. But for six hours, he suffered. He was mocked and humiliated. For six hours, it was as if everyone there was throwing as much sin at him as they possibly could. And he emptied himself. He emptied out everything, including his forgiveness. When he prayed for them and for us, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And we don't. How often have you committed a sin and not even realized what you were doing? It wasn't until it was over or until somebody said, what have you done, that you realized that you had, in fact, sinned. And the worst is when you've been doing something your whole life, and then suddenly, years later, miraculously, you learn that, hey, that's a sin too. How could we have gone so long living like this, we ask? And we think to ourselves, surely God can't forgive this. Decades for some of us of this. How can God forgive us? Because God loves us so much that there is no sin that can cut us off from our God. Amen. There is none. And if you ever start to doubt, if you ever start to waver, if you ever wonder, you go find a cross. And you look at that. That is the symbol of love. The world thinks it's a heart. It's a cross. And we are very fortunate to know that this cross is empty now. Because... 
The Sabbath was coming for God's people. Sundown on Friday begins the Sabbath, and it won't end until sundown on Saturday. And so Joseph of Arimathea, who the scriptures are very clear, was one of the council that condemned Jesus. He is just as active in the story of getting Jesus to the cross as Judas Iscariot. And he goes to Pilate, the governor, and says to him, we would like to take his body down. And some of us would say to ourselves, you know, it's so interesting. Now that he's dead, you're trying to honor him. Aren't we all in that boat? Now that Jesus is dead, we are trying to honor him. So let us not judge Judas or Joseph. But Joseph does what he can now. And he takes Jesus down and he wraps his body in a linen cloth and he lays him in a tomb. And the gospel account of Luke says that Joseph himself rolled the seal over the tomb to keep Jesus safe. Why did he have to be kept safe? Some of the gospel accounts tell us it's because the Sanhedrin, the council, feared that someone would come and steal his body and claim that he was resurrected, that he didn't really die. Others claimed that people would come and get him and they would make him a martyr. And there were some, like Joseph of Arimathea, who were worried that others would come and deface and destroy his body. And so they thought that he was sealed and safe in the tomb. And he was. He was from sundown tonight through sundown tomorrow. And for over 24 hours, all of those that had traveled with him, that had known him, that had loved him, that had encountered him and followed him with their lives, they thought it was over. They thought this was the end that they didn't see coming. They thought if anybody was going to be in the tomb, it would be Pilate. And yet Pilate is still sitting on his throne, and Jesus is dead. What do we do with that? The answer is that sometimes there is nothing for us to do. Because while we try to sit around and think and use our reason, when we try to devise our earthly plans on how we can fix or how we can transform something, what we don't realize is that God is already at work. God was already doing something. We just couldn't see it. And if you have ever felt like a walking tomb, if you have ever felt like you were dead on the inside and you were just a shell on the outside, then may you remember that today, at this hour, God was already starting to do work and was going to bring life out of what looked dead. They thought the tomb was simply a mausoleum. But life was working backward there. Death was not going to have the final say. Amen. And our suffering is not the final benediction on our lives. What you have experienced over the course of your lives, over the course of the pandemic, over the course of this day, that does not have to define you or weigh you down or burden you anymore. God invites all of us to turn over our heaviest burdens 
and to bring them. And in the Old Testament, it used to be that there was a giant sacrificial altar right in the courtyard of the tabernacle and the temple. And there the people would come and they would lay their hands upon their offering and then turn it over to the priest. And the priest would then slaughter the animal, dash the altar with blood to cleanse it, and then take a ritual piece, usually a fat portion, and put it upon the altar. And it would be completely burned. And that smell would rise. And the smoke would travel toward the heavens. And people watched as their sin went up in smoke. And tonight, we are going to have that same opportunity. Tonight, as we still meditate upon the cross, we remember that Jesus has made it possible for us to turn over everything and receive forgiveness. It used to be that you would have to do an offering for everything that you wanted to be forgiven for, everything that you had ever done wrong. Before Christ, you could have emptied an ark and still had sin to spare. But because of six hours this day, you can lay it all in the altar. All of it. And we're going to invite you to write what you want or draw what you want. Or if you don't want to do either of those, you can simply hold that piece of paper in your hands and infuse it with what you want. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe there are things that you have lost that you need God to help you find closure so that you can be free. Perhaps there are things that we don't even have words to describe that you need to give to God. And this is the time and the place and the invitation to do just that. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.